This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios here in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Here to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. The virus can have some harsh impacts on people. This we know. Long haulers battle with symptoms for weeks, months, cough, fatigue. Maybe hair loss is on the list, too. Actress Alyssa Milano went on social media to talk about her hair loss after getting COVID. So is this something to worry about if you get the virus? And then if you're worrying about it, is that going to just cause you to lose more hair? Well, college kids, by the way, living on and around campus right now, they will be headed home for Thanksgiving. That's in, what, just about two months? This year has flown by. Yeah, wow. All this nothing, and it's already... (laughs) Well, but, but, you know, the Thanksgiving whole thing could be a big problem if they bring the virus with them. How do you do it safe if you can? Women over the decades have spent a lot of time and effort fighting for things like equal pay in the workforce. Now the pandemic threatening to undo some of that. Hey, have you uh, heard of holistic forecasting? It might help us. The next time we have another pandemic, another pandemic. <laughs> let's not, get through this one Yeah, we're first. not even done with this one. Uh, let's get back to uh, hair loss and COVID. What's really going on here? Is the virus causing people to lose their hair? Dr. Dendi Engelman, dermatologist and dermatological surgeon at the Schaefer Clinic in New York City. So, doctor, is this the virus itself or is it just the stress of trying to get through the virus and come out on the other side? Yeah, I mean, it is the, the perfect question to ask. And it's so hard because how do we isolate um, the illness from from just the stress of COVID in general. And so it's interesting because we're seeing two different types of hair loss with patients who have come on the other side of COVID illness. One is a diffuse shedding, not unlike what women go through after they've given birth, and that's called telogen effluvium, where the hairs cycle into the falling out phase and you get a whole lot of release of hair, where 90% of the hair is usually in the growth phase or the antigen phase. And so that's one type that we're seeing. And then we're also seeing something called alopecia areata, where people are getting patchy areas of hair loss that are almost in a circular pattern, and they can also lose body hair like eyebrows and eyelashes. So that too is very stressful. Um, and we're, we know that stress certainly plays into alopecia areata, Um, And certainly COVID-19 is a great source of stress. But we also know that febrile illnesses um, and people who have been quite ill will will suffer from telogen effluvium. And so um, patients who've either had high fever from an illness, patients who've gone through a major surgery or emotional trauma. Can, can experience these types of hair loss. So it's hard to decide what came first, the chicken or the egg, although with COVID-19, we're finding so much uh, is, is vascular, right, with um, the COVID toes and people being susceptible to clotting. And so in some sorts of hair loss, we attribute it to decreased blood supply. So we could carry that it could be a direct relation to the COVID-19 infection versus just a factor that's related to stress. Now, Doctor, this is happening, uh, I presume, in both men and women. And if there are treatments, therefore, would the treatments be the same or would they differ depending on the sex of the patient? Yeah, that that is a great question. I I am seeing in my own practice in New York City, anecdotally, more women coming forward with it, but certainly it occurs in both sexes. And the the treatments are often quite similar with either um, minoxidil, which is a topical 
uh, treatment that you can get and apply, and it increases hair growth. Although some patients can experience increased hair shedding upon induction of that medicine, so they often are even further freaked out because they're losing more hair at first. Um, and certainly that can be, women and men can be treated with 5% minoxidil. Um, Propecia or finasteride is an oral medicine that we typically only prescribe in men. And then there is a treatment that has been shown to increase hair growth in women, and that's called spironolactone. And that would be best uh, in, treated for in women because it can have some feminizing effects in doses in men. So you certainly want to you want to bring this up with a healthcare provider who is familiar with all of the options and treatments and make sure that you're getting the most appropriate. But the good news is for everyone, minoxidil is available over the counter. So that's a good place to start. It's been deemed effective, but I would recommend 5% for both males and females. Dr. Dendy Engelman, dermatologist, dermatological surgeon, Schaefer Clinic in New York City. Thanksgiving will be here before you know it. Families will be getting together like they do every year, but unlike in previous years, that could be a problem. Doctors concerned that Thanksgiving gatherings could create real challenges in the effort to stop the spread of the coronavirus, especially with college students getting back home. Dr. Chris Colbert is an emergency room doctor, University of Illinois, Chicago. He talked to WBBM's Cisco Cotto about recommendations to avoid getting sick over that long holiday weekend. So, you know, our recommendation right now is that for those families that are going to have um, children return home is to practice quarantining those students um, for the simple fact that there is no comorbidities for this patient population and can walk around and travel with positive um, COVID symptoms without the really high morbidity or mortality. And what happens is they travel home and come into contact with family members that have comorbidities, family members that have at a, a higher risk population. Um, and so just to be mindful of that um, when your family members come home. What do they do at Thanksgiving? I mean, do you have a Thanksgiving table or is everybody sitting in separate rooms enjoying the meal? How, how do you do this? So here's the thing. That's a fair question. And that's a really great question. In fact, um, our suggestion, in fact, is to kind of spread out those tables, maybe use joining rooms and have one table in one room and one table close, but in the other room as well to decrease, again, exposure and uh, contact. And we are specifically recommending to not house hop. We call it house hopping, where you have breakfast at one family member, and then you go to another family member's home. And in essence, you're just going from home to home to home. Some people visit three to four homes on one holiday. And so our recommendation, in fact, is to be safe, decrease the exposure and uh, content as well, and stay at one place for the Thanksgiving break. What are you expecting to discuss? There's a virtual conference coming up with ER doctors. What do you expect the, sort of the consensus to be? You know, in fact, I am the co-moderator of an upcoming ER conference on October the 11th, and some of our key discussions are, in fact, these questions. What are the recommendations? What are the conversations that are held? Um, for anyone out there interested in the medical profession, uh, .er, Um you can connect that way. We can talk about and provide more insight on this amazing conference and having conversations discussing somewhat like this. Thanks so much. Always good to have you on the show. We'll have you back after that conference, too. We're interested in what ER docs are saying from around the country. Dr. Chris Colbert, ER doc here in Chicago at the University of Illinois Chicago Hospital. Women have been fighting for a long time for an equal place at work. Studies have been made over the years when it comes to 
equal pay. Now, the fight certainly isn't over, but the coronavirus pandemic has hit back, and it has hit back hard. Many women are having to put their careers on hold to stay home and take care of the kids. Researchers have been saying this could increase the gender pay gap. Nicole Mason, president and CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Nicole, why is the work of uh, taking care of kids not equal? You know, split it between mom and dad? That's a good question. So traditionally, women have taken on the role of caretaker and the is, are the primary caretakers in their families. So um, women, on average, perform 30% more of the caretaking demands and responsibilities in the household. And for COVID, during COVID and during the pandemic, this number uh, has increased for women. So although both men and women might be working remotely, women are still the primary, considered the primary caretakers in their families. I was reading a piece about this, and it was talking just on that idea, and it interviewed a bunch of moms who were saying, you know, the kids still come to me, even though I'm trying to teach them to go to dad, they've kind of got it imprinted that mom will solve all my problems. So they always pick me first. Yes. And even when women are working remotely, they are more likely to be interrupted during meetings um, than, uh, you know, fathers or dads or other partners who are, are at home because, you know, for, for because of gender norms and expectation, mom is the default primary caregiver in most families. And you know, even during the pandemic, when there's a choice about who might leave the labor market or workforce to take care of families, it's usually uh, the mother. Okay, so, the that, so that explains the issue with children. Why would the pandemic potentially lead to a, a larger increase in the pay gap between men and women? Because of earnings lost. And when women off-ramp to take care of their children, or in this case, because of an enormous job loss as a result of covid Many of those jobs won't be replaced, uh, so there won't be a one-for-one recovery. So when women re-enter the workforce, if they are able to, um, they might have to take lower positions, positions that pay less, or they may have to start all over or get reskilled and go to a whole new profession altogether. So those all are all things that might hurt uh, her potential earning power. It's the it's like the mommy track, but now it's a COVID track, right? Because you get on the mommy track, you make some less money, or you don't have the opportunities when you come back because you you quote unquote lost time um, through no fault of your own because you you've got a kid, you're trying to raise a kid, you probably wanted the kid, um, but now it's the same thing with COVID. If you had to step back from your career, you're not going to have the same opportunities for advancement as you would had you been working this whole time. Yes, and I, I like that you called it the COVID track uh, because that is what it is for many women, especially women who are, you know, need to get back to work because they need to be able to provide it for their families. But because some of the, the other additional burdens like child care, um, not being able to go, return to full-time work. And we all know that part-time work is unreliable and uh, often pays less. So even recouping or going back to the same level they were pre-COVID is not an option for many working women. So is there a solution to this, or is this something we are all going to end up living with for years to come? So I think we will be feeling the repercussions of COVID and its impact on working women. We, you know, at the start of the year, we were celebrating the fact that women were 50% of the workforce um, and now that is no longer the case because of the millions of jobs women have lost in just a few months. And we still don't have a solution for the school problem or the child care problem. So it's likely that women, um, you know, it'll take longer for those women who lost their jobs to reenter the workforce for a variety of factors. 
um, you know, childcare is an issue. The fact that some jobs have disappeared uh, altogether also is also an issue. And finding a job that may pay the co- a comparable wage um, as the one that they had pre- before COVID um, is also an issue. And because many companies are struggling, um, the idea that women are going to be able to, to demand equal pay or we're going to be able to address the issue of pay equity, uh, it's just not going to be possible in this new economic reality and our new economic reality. Nicole Mason, President, CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Holistic forecasting sounds like some kind of new age concept, you know, crystals, meditation, herbal tea, all that stuff. But it's actually quite different. It might be extremely helpful in identifying and reacting to big events or disasters like the coronavirus pandemic. I will put it on my vision board. Guntram Werther, professor of marketing and supply chain management at Temple University, talks to KYW's Matt Leon about what holistic forecasting is and how it can help. The simplest way to explain it would be you naturally do it uh, when you drive down the highway. You're not only looking at the speedometer or the fuel gauge, or you're not only looking a mile down the road. You're constantly integrating and rejudging information as it arises uh, to make uh, your judgments. Okay, And you you have at the same time a long-term plan you want to get from point A to point B, but you also have these immediate uh, considerations, the traffic around you, changes in the environment, all of that. So the main point I want to make is holistic thinking is entirely natural to humans. I mean, uh, you know, if you walk down the street or, uh, you know, get to work or do anything you do, you're doing holistic forecasting. The, the issue is bringing that kind of thinking into uh, formal analysis, uh, formal thinking. Uh, which I think you'll agree we've spent an awful lot of time specializing and subspecializing uh, people in the, in the university and also in practice. So we've kind of taught ourselves to get away from that. I never bought that. And so I've been doing holistic forecasting now going on probably 35 years. Explain to me how holistic forecasting differs from other methods. If you look at a math model, for an example, they have to decide which variables are important and what they measure, and they put them into the model. And then they test the model against reality. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's horrible, and sometimes it's in between. The difference with holistic forecasting is we don't prejudge variables. We have some idea of the things that we think are relevant to the question that we're trying to answer. Okay, look, what's the future of globalization? Or you know, what's going to happen in the European Union? Things like that. We have some idea of what's relevant, but when other things arise in, in the data set, in other words, in the world, we constantly fold them in. And so the, the analogy I use is like layering up an onion. You start with a little bit of information and you just keep layering it up and it gets broader and deeper as you move along. Okay. And, and, and so I would say the main difference in holistic forecasting, just like in life, when you're driving down the road or walking down the street is you're constantly integrating information as it arises and you don't prejudge it. Okay. You just say, Oh, this happened. You know, I'm walking down the road or I'm driving down the road and a dog ran in my way. I'm going to react to that. Okay, that dog is not relevant, whereas probably you didn't think about that as you started your trip. Uh, And there's things I'm going to not think about when I think about will globalization be successful uh, that somebody else isn't going to put into a math model because it doesn't make that much sense. But there it is, pops up. And and I have to to deal with it now. I have to integrate that into my thinking and constantly rejudge and reanalyze as I move along. Uh, that builds up over time so that you get a better and better picture of how whatever you're interested in fits into the uh, changing or evolving world. Is, is that sensible to you? Uh, it is. It is. And 
where would you say in what areas is holistic forecasting the most useful? I work on large events or what we call large scale, large impact rare events uh, because of the, those are the most commonly missed by people. Uh, so that's my main area of, of, of use. But one of the contracts I have is with the Society of Actuaries and they're interested in you know how do you set insurance rates? What's the risk of this or that event happening so they can set insurance rates? Uh, you, you see it in banking. I mean, uh, you know, right now the banking industry is, is a little bit concerned about political risk because they don't know how elections are going to turn out, not just in this country, but a whole bunch of other countries, uh, what the impact is on COVID uh, on those societies in the near and long term. And so that goes into financial institutions. I, I would argue that there's almost not an institution that isn't impacted. Nate Silver, who's a good forecaster, he's missed a few things, but he's a great guy, in my opinion, uh, one of the better ones. And he, he, he pointed out that, you know, in, in well-understood systems like baseball, uh, those kind of analytics are actually better than uh, you know, expert judgment. In other areas, the reverse is true. Uh, so I can't really think of a major area of human endeavor where holistic forecasting doesn't have something to say. I am not saying that we shouldn't use models or algorithms or AI or any other system that gives you insight. That's just more grist for my mill. I'll fold those results in with everything else. What would you say are the keys to a good holistic forecast or to having the most the most accurate you can? Well, the, the, the first point uh, that people have made, uh, and this goes back to Aristotle, is you have to be older. And, and that has nothing to do with IQ. It has to do with having enough experience of how the world works to be able to do the kinds of things you need to do to do holistic forecasting. And we've seen that in a number of other books, Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. He has a nice little vignette about uh, master chess players. You know, it's, it's experiential, okay? But the second part in most areas is being multidisciplinary. My background is in biology with math, chemistry, double minors. And then I went and got a degree in comparative political systems. And I've always been reading about comparative religions, histories, philosophies. Yeah, I was just interested in all kinds of stuff that didn't make any sense to me when I was younger. And so what we saw both in the domestic community and in the military intelligence community is the good forecasters are integrative thinkers because they have multidisciplinary life experiences and skills. Okay, that's that's important. You, you can't integrate what you don't understand. It is, you don't have to be an expert, but you have to be able to uh, you know, have functional knowledge, shall we say, of many fields. So if you want to integrate economics, you have to at least understand significant amounts about economics, politics. If in Middle East, religion matters, you know, different kinds of Islam, so forth. In other regions, other things matter. Uh, you have to have that broad spectrum. Okay? Otherwise, it won't make any sense to you. Maybe a nasal spray will save us from the coronavirus. A biotech company in Australia says a nasal spray that it is developing to improve the human immune system to fight the common cold and flu significantly reduced the growth of the coronavirus. A study on ferrets showed the spray lowered the levels of the virus that causes COVID-19 by up to 96%. The company says the spray would be ready in human trials in less than four months. Ship it over. Let's go. I'll try it. As a person who doesn't like needles, right, this is way better for me. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, but why do ferrets get all the cool stuff? <laughs> I mean, is it be, is it like because they're ferrets and people 
feel sorry for them, so they go, here, ferret, here, ferret. take this miracle cure kind it, of thing. Well, you know, it's, it's better than a mouse study because they're so much larger. Well, that's true. <laughs> you can see them better. <laughs> Find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Stay well. Do you think the ferrets spray it up their own nose? <laughs>